Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We're going to be talking about one of the other issues that's dominated a lot of the conversation around politics and what we need our politicians to fix, um, not only in Alberta, but across the country, and that's crime and social disorder. And certainly housing um, plays a role in that. There's no doubt. Part of what we're seeing, you know, we've, we've talked about mental health, we've talked about addiction, we've talked about homelessness, all those sorts of things, which are components. It's not the be-all, and it's not all of it, but it's definitely a part of it, and a, and a pretty big part of it. But we, we, we know that crime and social disorder have grabbed a lot of headlines. Across the country, here in our province, you, you've seen all the talk in our province. The mayors have talked about it. Police chiefs have talked about it. The provincial government has talked about it. We've seen increased law enforcement deployed into the big cities' downtown cores to try and handle it. Transit problems on transit has been a big, big problem. And then, you know, to sort of back up some of those concerns in a way, the annual crime severity index numbers uh, came out just last week, I believe. Um, and they show that the crime severity index increased 4.3% nationally. The violent crime severity index increased 4.6%. So what does that mean? What do you, how, how do you interpret those numbers, right? We all, okay, it's up. It's up 4.3%. What does that mean? Uh, let's find out. We're going to have a chat with Martin Andresen, who's a professor of criminology at Simon Fraser University. Martin, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on your show. Crime severity index. First of all, let's start there. That's the data we're going to be talking about. What is it? How does it work? Uh, the crime severity index is just, um, it's a weighted uh, crime rate. And so if you think about two areas, right? So your uh, your listeners are in Edmonton and in Calgary. And let's say that in one of them, I won't pick on any one of them because mm. I'm from BC. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Uh, in one of them, you have 10 low-level low-level assaults. And the other one, you have 10 homicides. If you end up having, just end up calculating a violent crime rate, you're going to both end up having the, the same violent crime rate. Yeah. But a homicide is obviously more severe, right? And so, uh, so by the, what the crime severity index says is it puts more weight on more severe crimes, like a homicide in this case. And so the CSI for the city that would end up having the homicides would end up being much higher. So it gives, a, it gives an indication of how... <clears throat> Of how bad uh, how bad crime is in particular places, and you know when when you're dealing with larger cities and provinces, it doesn't have a huge impact or huge difference from the actual crime rates that they tend to move very very similarly with gotcha. one another. But it can be important for especially smaller communities where one is more more wild than another, and that'll pick that up. But I mean, there's some limitations to any kind of data. And you talk about smaller communities; they're going to be if yeah. you have one homicide in a small community versus you know a, a, a homicide in a larger community, it, it can really skew that number, can't it? It really can, and so we have to be we have to be very careful on how we end up interpreting these things. Where I don't really like using these types of statistics for anything smaller than like a metro area uh, or a um, 
uh, like a census metropolitan region or or a large city, like at least a hundred thousand is yeah. the type of size you'd want to be using. Um, what about the time frame that it, that it looks at? Do we need to to bring that into our calculation too? I mean, it is relatively short term, year over year, right? Yeah, well, we need to be careful. You know, like we've had, um, we've had, inc- we have had increases. Like you know, we had drops in crimes across the country when it came to COVID. I've studied this with one of my colleagues, Tara Hodgkinson, and we've done this across the country for uh, police services that gave uh, reported data. Um, and and you know, then we've seen subsequent increases. And some of the increases are because of that drop before things are going back to quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. But also, like we're having, we're we're uh, we're looking at crime increases from a much lower baseline. Like crime has been falling around the world for the past thirty years. These the data we have for the CSI go back to nineteen ninety eight. So we need to consider that in context, right? So we have uh, we have a. Uh, a percentage change and, and have, you know, increases at the Canadian level in uh, in Alberta. The like the violent CSI has gone down. Um, you know the property crime CSI has gone up, and that's what's driving the overall mm-hmm. or the nonviolent CSI. That's what's been driving the overall change. And um, so we, know, we we need to end up keep that in consideration, and also to remember where these things happen. Like right. Crime concentrates incredibly. Yeah. And a, a small percentage of areas account for like the vast majority of crime and when even when we see increases even small increases or even if it's stable like what's been happening lately is and from what I've seen with the data my, my analysis are usually mostly in Vancouver there's been a shift where we see increases in particularly violence in the most marginalized and vulnerable areas of the city that's the thing, right? I mean, we talk about the crime rate in Edmonton, and you can probably boil down to half of that coming from a 12-block area. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 we sort of paint with a really broad brush, brush with these numbers. Yeah, and most people know where those are. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, you know, and you, you walk down, and most of the city will not have seen any any change at all. Like, you know, wouldn't, didn't, wouldn't have seen much of a drop during COVID either because there wasn't a lot of crime there. It was in those in those places where you end up having you you already mentioned it mental health addiction issues yeah. housing like we've had disinvestment uh, people talk about defunding the police yep. we've had, we've had defunding of social services in this country and around the Western world for forty years and then we had we had um, you know it takes time for this to have a huge impact we have to hit it like a tipping point if you will and then we end up having this pan, the pandemic. And like we are seeing increases, like there's no doubt about it. Yep. And it's, that's, these are things that we need to end up considering. Like, what can we end up doing about it? And most of the time, these are not. Like, obviously, the police need to be called at this point, right? And I'm not. I'm not an abolitionist, uh, but I also recognize that we need. We need to be reinvesting back in social services so people have something to fall back on. I mean, we, we've heard that from every level of government, right? I mean, everybody seems to recognize that. When we're taking a look at those crime figures, um, there's no comp- there's no consideration of that, right? Like, we've now taken it to calling crime and social disorder in Edmonton and Calgary. It's not just crime anymore. There's there's social disorder that goes hand in hand because, like I think you say, like you're saying, and I agree with completely, the, it's the social programming and the social supports that just aren't doing what they need to do, um, th- that doesn't factor in. When we talk about crime, it's just crime, right? We, we don't differentiate. Yeah. Um, well, it also depends on what we're dealing with, right? When you're dealing with addiction, um, a lot of a lot of the uh, activity, a lot of the criminal activity of people who end up, um, who are drug users, 
they um, they commit they commit crimes, largely property crimes or like robbery, but which is a violent property crime, to end up getting access to the drugs that they're using. And one of there's a study that was done about ten years ago in Vancouver. And one of the simplest ways to end up dealing with this is just to give people the drugs, and these drugs are cheap. And it also controls the supply, the quality of the supply, mm-hmm. and uh, and so whether you you want to take the you know what people would call like you know on the left you know you know the bleeding yep. heart yep. trying to help out people um, you know it works on that front, but also on the other end of the spectrum, it's cost effective. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's like you say, it's political though, right? I mean, that, that's ultimately where we end up on this. Yeah, but it's but it's but it's political in a very weird way. It's value it's value based politics. It's not about yes, right. it's not about it's not actually about fiscal fiscal politics, which is how things used to be, but that there's been this change in North America where that, that's happened over oh, the right. decades as well. Yeah, and I think that's part of the conversation. But like, I, like, like you know, like you say, it is, there's a lot of politics around it. Uh, really great breakdown on how those numbers work, Martin. I really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thank you.